warning. Some things in our podcast may not be suitable for everyone. We talk about cults and murders, and due to the nature of our podcast, may use harsh language at times. Viewer's discretion is advised. And also, we can't pronounce anything. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Cults and Crime, a true kind podcast covering cults, crime, and everything in between. I'm one of your hosts, Jamie. And I'm your other host, Nicole. All right, guys, so we did give you some clues last week, and I don't think I saw anybody get the answer. So, Jamie, what are we going over? We are going over the Vampire King of Fresno. The cults I've covered so far have been large organizations with far-reaching implications. They use their money and influence to draw in large crowds and have diverse pools of victims. This is not the case for the cult I'm covering today. The leader did not find his victims through television, radio, or even word of mouth. He didn't need to because his victims were much closer to home. Marcus Weston grew up in a religious family as part of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. This church is probably going to ring a few bells for you guys because some people consider the church itself to be a cult and there are quite a few offshoots of this church that are cults. But that's a story for another day. (laughs) To say that Marcus Weston had a troubled childhood would be an understatement. His father was physically abusive and an alcoholic. He would eventually leave Marcus's mom for his 18-year-old nephew. Wait, so you're telling me this guy didn't win Father of the Year? No, surprisingly enough, the abusive alcoholic did not win Father of the Year. Odd, just so weird. (laughs) His mother was also very problematic. Her beliefs were borderline fanatical. She gave her children daily Bible lessons and even wrote a child-friendly version of the Bible stories. And she read those to her children every night. That sounds nice. So reading her kids' Bible stories at night sounds kind of nice. Like, what's so bad about it? So not only do they go to church every single weekend, which, you know, is pretty normal for most religions, but she sermonized to her children personally every single day, as well as doing the handwritten Bible stories every single night. Marcus was also part of the choir, so he was at the church three days a week. It was all that together that gave it more of a fanatical feel. All church, all the time. It was, yeah, they didn't really have anything else left in their family. If they weren't going to church, they were at church. If they weren't doing either of those things, they were talking about church. So despite this, most people remember Marcus as being a pretty good kid. He actively participated in his church's choir and loved trains. But unfortunately, he would end up quitting high school early. He joined the military and worked in the army as a medic. He lived in Europe for a short time before returning to the United States and being honorably discharged during the Vietnam War. At 21, he started a relationship with a 34-year-old Rosemary Solano. The woman was over 13 years his senior and was already married at the time. Rosemary lived in San Jose and would eventually leave her husband to be with Mark. Rosemary already had six children with her previous husband, and the pair would eventually have a son together. The son would be named Adair, and if Rosemary wasn't already devoted to Marcus, this would solidify the relationship. Marcus didn't really have a job at this time and never really gets a job so he mainly survived on welfare. This didn't stop him from having absolute control in his household. He forced everyone to be vegetarian in accordance with his own religious beliefs and that they were all to follow his religion. Marcus was already forming his ideologies and was very strict with the children about them. Marcus was strictly religious, but his views would stray from the churches. He believed the world was sick and full of sin, that a man should have more than one wife, and that Jesus was an immortal vampire. Well, okay then. What's funny is he actually uses scripture to back this up. 
do you happen to have the Bible? Well, blood of Christ. Oh, okay. I guess. Totally makes sense. Jesus is a vampire. Water, it wasn't water to wine. It was water to blood, folks. You heard it here first. He taught all of this to Rosemary and her children. She believed him when he said God had spoken to him and told him that he was a prophet. He often talked about how God had sent him a chosen woman, and that woman would be his wife and bear his children. Rosemary Solaro believed that woman would be her. But Marcus had another Solaro in mind. One of Rosemary's children was 12-year-old Elizabeth. Behind Rosemary's back, he began sexually assaulting her, resulting in the first many pregnancies. The pair would be married in 1974. Wait, 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 wait. She just, so mama just sat aside and was like, chill? Like, whatever? I know, it's hard. it's one of those things where you hear it and you're like, what the hell? No. But think about it this way. She thought he was God. Yeah. God damn it. Nope. So one of another tenets of their beliefs was that he was a direct descendant of Jesus, which is why it was his job to populate the earth and kids and a bunch of wives. All right then, dude. I definitely understand your knee-jerk reaction, because when I first read the story, I felt the same thing. I was like, what the hell's wrong with this woman? But she's been conditioned and brainwashed for, you know, at this point, years. Yeah, I get that, I guess. You know, at this time, Marcus was doing what his mom did every night, setting the kids and Rosemary down and teaching them from his ideology, his own Bible stories. Oh, okay. And all the stuff that he was telling her, he was backing up with scripture. So he just, he eventually just brainwashed her. It happens to a lot of people that join cults. Things that you think that you could never do in a million years, all of a sudden don't seem too far-fetched. Yeah. At first she was really reluctant, but he just convinced her. So obviously Elizabeth, and she was almost eight, and he'd been grooming her this whole time to be his perfect wife. She was subservient to him in every single way. But... Their marriage caused a lot of problems in the Solario household, and eventually the pair would leave Rosemary's home, and they had their first child together, Dorian, under his mother's roof. That was until Marcus's mom kicked them out in an act of tough love. This was due to Marcus's refusal to get a real job or any job to speak of. This was the tough love that Marcus needed, because he would get a job after this before he had eventually quit and go back on welfare. Elizabeth and Marcus would have ten children together. One would die as an infant. Elizabeth was allowed very little control over her children and how they would be raised. Marcus homeschooled them and taught them from his own handwritten Bible that he had changed to share his own ideals. The worst thing Marcus did to these children at an early age is that he made Elizabeth punish them. So, babies cry. Everyone knows that. But to Marcus, that was unacceptable. He would have Elizabeth slap the baby's feet the bottoms of the children's feet until they stopped crying that elizabeth performed because she knew that it would be even worse for the children if marcus hurt them himself as the children got older the abuse got more elaborate if the children didn't obey they'd be beaten with a small baseball bat or a stick wrapped in duct tape he would also preach to the children in order to show them the errors of their ways or make them feel absolutely worthless they are kept away from the outside world in order to keep them from being influenced from the bad, evil, sinful influences of the world. In 1976, Marcus, now 32, would find his next victim, 17-year-old Isabel Lee. Isabel was a pregnant runaway that he would meet at church. At first, he just listened to her, but slowly he started teaching her his own ideals. He used the Bible to convince her that a man was meant to have more than one wife. 
Marcus convinced her to stop talking to everyone else in her life and focus on Marcus alone. Not long after the baby was born, their relationship turned sexual. This continued for a few months until Elizabeth found out. She didn't want to be second fiddle. She wanted Marcus to care about his family, his children, and her. At first, Elizabeth insisted he have no contact with Isabel, but later, she consented that he could have a relationship with her as long as he didn't get her pregnant and only had oral sex with her. Isabel Lee desperately wanted to be one of Marcus's wives, going as far as giving Marcus's money to try to keep him in her life. Marcus eventually talked Elizabeth into allowing Isabel's wives, as long as she agreed to be second to Elizabeth and agreed to do everything Elizabeth said. Elizabeth refused and eventually would leave. She didn't want to be a mistress and didn't like being considered below Elizabeth. In 1989, Marcus faced charges of welfare fraud. In 1987, he had bought a sailboat for his family to live on for $14,000. The only problem is he tried to say that he didn't own it. He had he bought it with his money, but he put it in a friend's name. And obviously, if you're on welfare, you can't be buying a leisure item for $14,000. No, no, you cannot. So Marcus didn't take this sitting down. He filed multiple appeals and court documents. He caused the courtroom to become a circus. Between the multiple letters to the judge and the alleged misconduct by his own attorney, he also claimed the jury was racist. He called the judge a racist bigot and said he was biased against him. Obviously, Marcus lost this fight and was sentenced to 180 days in jail and was ordered to sell the boat to pay back the government for his fraud. In 1996, he would be back in court for tax evasion, claiming that he would pay his taxes if kicked off welfare. Obviously, that's not a good excuse for not paying your taxes, so this didn't go well for him either. He began to fear the government and would teach his children officials. He would say they would come in white vans to take them away, that devils and demons were alive and well and on this earth, that they wore navy blue uniforms and had shiny gold symbols on their chests. So police officers. Yeah, he was kind of setting it up to don't believe police officers, don't go with police officers, you know, don't report me to a police officer because they're demons, they're devils. Well played. Well played. <laughs> Marcus held control of his family with a mixture of fear and religious fever as his children would be able to recount many cases of being beaten by Marcus. Adrian Wesson, one of Marcus's children, told ABC News that once he got beaten full wire for over straight for daring to take a spoonful of peanut butter. Marcus and Elizabeth were amazing parents and everyone around them could see that. So Elizabeth's sister eventually dropped off seven of her own children to be taken care of by Marcus and Elizabeth. What the fuck? She claimed she couldn't take care of the children, but I can't imagine being in a situation where you think Marcus could take care of them better than you, especially because they already had nine children of their own. Yeah, and he didn't have a... Neither did Elizabeth. Neither Marcus ever had stable jobs. Oh my god. Only to start moving around almost constantly. Buses or cramped apartments intense they had no access to running water and the children would have to run to grab water for them and if someone couldn't make it to town because there was no money for gas they would just do without the children often went dumpster diving to eat and stole to keep marcus happy marcus never ate out of the trash but his children that was fine for them the only education the children would receive was through marcus the girls had a very different education than the boys at an early age, Marcus separated the boys and girls because he was afraid they would start having sexual relationships with each other. So while the boys had an education based on religion, 
the girls had an education on religion and what he called loving lessons. They were responsible for washing Marcus's dreadlocks and scratching his head and armpits. The older they got, the more the loving lessons progressed. Age 8 or 9, the girls would start receiving lessons on oral sex, sometimes on each other. So as Elizabeth, Marcus tired of her and wanted new, young wives. He would marry his own daughters, Kayani and Sabrina, and have children with them. He would also have children with his nieces, Ruby, Rosa, and Sophina. The family was getting harder and harder to provide for as it got larger. Marcus would end up sending the women out to go get jobs and to support the family. While the girls were out at their jobs, they were not allowed to talk to any men and were often encouraged to tattle on each other. This bit of freedom really opened the women's eyes. Even after all the beatings, two of them would still attempt to run away. When Sophina tried, Marcus stabbed her in the chest. Oh my god. He asked her, are you ready to go to the Lord? You can right now. Just say it. And Sophina replied, what? I'm not ready. Sophina was really incredibly brave. She and her sister Ruby would both eventually leave Marcus. And Marcus allowed this under one condition. They had to leave their children behind. The woman couldn't live with this for long. Not knowing the unspeakable horrors Marcus was unleashing on them. And the longer they were under Marcus's care, the more brainwashed they'd become. Ruby agreed if they went there, they would be able to convince Marcus to give their children back. Marcus would not let go of his children. The women returned to their children. To this, Marcus yelled, Judas, Judas, and bow down to your master. Tensions and tempers were raised and very high. The women were outside begging and screaming for their children. But Marcus, on the other hand, was deathly calm. He had planned for this moment for far too long. When Marcus walked back into the house in order to grab the children, or as he told the police officers, he wasn't seen for quite a while. When he returned back outside, he did not have the children with him, but he was covered in blood, reminiscent of the vampire he claimed to be. Ugh. Marcus shot all of the children that were currently in the home. The youngest was Java. She was only a year old, and the oldest was 25-year-old Seraphine, killing his own daughters and his own grandchildren. So he shot them all in the eye. So basically, he lined them up, lined the gun up to their eyes, and took his shot, one after another, killing all of those children. Oh, it's so disgusting. Well, that's how indoctrinated they were. Can you imagine watching your brothers and sisters die next to you and continuing to stand there and wait for your turn? No, I can't. They must have been terrified. When the police entered the home, they saw a scene they would not soon forget. Besides the children's bodies stacked in a pile and a large amount of blood, placed standing around the bodies were 12 hand-carved mahogany caskets. Oh, so he definitely was planning this. Marcus had purchased them at an antique shop where he had his daughters load them into the family's bus. Weston went on trial in June 2005. Weston's defense was that his children committed suicide rather than being parted with him. Elizabeth spoke at the trial in exchange for immunity. She claimed she never knew the sexual abuse her daughters were receiving and also called the prosecutor a bitch. I had no idea what was going on, but use a hoe. Marcus seemed not to pay attention during most of the trial, but did yell objection while his wife and the prosecutor fought. His sons also tried to plead his case, claiming that Marcus was the best father anyone could ask for. But thankfully, this did not change the jury's mind. The jury declined to find whether Weston fired the shots himself, but did convict him of murder anyways. 
presumably finding that he had persuaded his children to enter into a suicide pact. Weston was convicted of nine counts of first-degree murder on June 17, 2005, and also found guilty of 14 counts of forcible rape and sexual molestation of seven of his daughters and nieces. Weston was sentenced to death on June 27, 2005. The remaining Westons received counseling and tried to move on with their lives. They've made many appearances, including going on the Dr. Phil show. Elizabeth Weston even went to college and took classes in English and computers. Marcus's surviving family have done their best to move past their upbringing and brainwashing they received almost from birth. Marcus was sentenced to death in the state of California. California no longer has the death penalty, and Marcus has yet to be killed. So it's kind of up in the air about what exactly is supposed to happen to him. I'm assuming he now has life in prison. I'm just mad because I, you know, it's like I really thought this vampire king was going to be going around drinking blood. And I thought there'd be more drinking blood and less raping his children. Well, it was just, it was all part of his beliefs. He thought he was a descendant of Jesus. So he was the immortal vampire because he had immortal vampire blood running through his veins. And thus, the reason he had so many children and, you know, was having incestuous relationships with those was because he wanted to keep the bloodline pure. He just seems like a freaking quack to me. He's not, I don't know. I have a hard time believing that he thinks he's a real vampire. Well, the thing is, if you ask him, like people asked him later, did you really think you were a vampire? He's like, no, it was like a metaphorical thing. But if you ask any of his children, they're like, no, he said he was a vamp. We were vampires, that all this vampire stuff was happening. And yeah, and yet none of these kids probably saw Twilight like they don't know. And Twilight is the bar of which vampires reside at, Nicole? Obviously. No, it's just the first thing they can, like... Nicole, why aren't you wondering, like, how someone let him buy 12 coffins? Honestly, all this is so weird to me. It's kind of just like, that's not the weirdest thing. So it's like hard to harp on that. But how did he buy the coffins, Jamie? Well, he told the guy that he was buying them to use the that's right hand carved mahogany coffin and use the wood to repair my sailboat oh well that yeah that totally checks out like there was a bunch of weird like well not weird just like of stuff that happened so when he was arrested he was what i would describe as an obese man while his children were eating out of the garbage oh my god yeah so when they lived, the town they lived in at the time, like the children were well known for just being odd, and just you see them go to the to the fast food dumpsters at night and try to get a meal. Like everyone knew about this, and no one said anything or reported him. Yeah, I don't understand why you wouldn't. Well, thing is, even if you did, they had no stable address and they didn't go to school. Yeah, but that's a law in itself. The kids aren't going to school. Get suspicious. They just packed the family up and moved them again. These poor kids. It's horrible. Well, and a bunch of them went forward to get actual lives and jobs. One of the sons was like a security guard, and you know, one of the, a few of his daughters went to college. So this did them from leading lives eventually. Yeah, but it's like how emotionally stunted they probably were, and no, they all had to get counseling. The beatings alone, even don't include the rape. And the incestuous relationships, like, he was beating these children. The worst punishment he would do would be called a 30. 21 hits over the course of 30 days. You get one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and one before you went to bed. And what was the purpose of this? 
something that Marcus thought was especially grievous. Over the course of 30 days, you just get beaten three times a day. It was so gross. He beat one of his sons for 20 minutes just for getting a spoonful of peanut butter. So you can imagine what small little slight led to a 30-day punishment. Yeah, something I'm sure very minor. Well, he was a horribly violent man. He, you know, I said earlier that he stabbed his one of his daughters when she tried to leave. So like all around great guy. <laughs> yeah, all around best father in the world. Winning well, all the fatherly. Apparently so wonderful that that his wife's sister was like, oh yeah, here, take all of my children and take care of them as they were your own. I think there was a lot of drug abuse involved in that particular case. You know, obviously as one of Elizabeth's sisters, so he had been living in that household, prophesizing to her earlier in her life as well. So she also thought Marcus was a prophet and thought that the relationship with Elizabeth was, you know, God's plan. What is wrong with these people? They're brainwashed. It was the same same thing like all those children lie shot in their eyes. Yeah, I can't imagine having such big control on someone or someone having such a control on me that they're going to shoot me in the face and I would just sit there. Exactly. And that's kind of what I find really fascinating about cults, which is why we do this, is just that level of control. I can't imagine anyone having that level of control over me or me having that level of control over anyone else. Okay, so Jamie, that's it for this week. And week, I have some clues for you. Are you ready for them? I am so ready. So I have a phrase for you. A man walks into the bar, but doesn't leave. How is that a phrase? It's a fucking How does phrase. a man not leave? Exactly, Jamie. How does somebody not leave? And you're just going to have to wait for the answer next week. Hey, cult and crime fans. If you like listening to us discuss charismatic leaders and husbands who definitely did it, then one of the easiest ways for you to support us is by subscribing to us on whatever listening platform you're using and giving us a five-star review. We love all of our listeners. Production by Jamie. Production and editing by Nicole. Our intro music is Wrong by Dan Henning. Our background music is In Albany, New York by the 129ers.